This is Women's Tech Radio, a show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network interviewing interesting women in technology, exploring their roles and how they are successful in technology careers. Today, Paige, our show is called OMG the Internet. And so I thought it might be cool, actually you thought it <laughs> would be cool, if we did our moment based on OMG the Internet. And I think my, well, do you want to go first? Sure. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I mean, I got into making HTML programs in high school, like programs, web pages, and I was like, I can put this online, and I think I had like one of those GeoCity accounts or whatever, and so that was kind of cool. But I think the first time I really had that OMG the internet moment was like the first time I pulled apart an access database because I had to at work because we were like, we were using ticketing stuff, and I got to see like what a database and a front end kind of did together for the first time, and it like, it like literally blew my mind. Oh my god this is how the internet works only like right here on my computer and i can then do it <laughs> on the internet so there can be data and then people can see the data and like it just that that like i had that matrix moment of like you know or the sixth sense like i see dead people i see, <laughs> I see data you know what visualization came to mind when you said that was like on zelda when you walk into a new territory and you'd oh, be able yeah, to see you know totally. like so like, like your map, map filled up. in yeah, yeah like crazy yeah. like crazy yeah. Well, okay. Well, mine, I guess, or one of mine is being introduced to IRC. And and this was late in the game. Like, you know, I know IRC has been around for a long time, but um, Internet Relay Chat is what it stands for. And Jupiter Broadcasting has an IRC channel, pound Jupiter Broadcasting. And I joined it and all of a sudden I was connected to, you know, people from around the world and not just... Not just any people, because like obviously in past shows we've talked about AOL chat rooms, mm-hmm. uh, or at least I did. I don't, I can't remember if you did too. Yep. But um, so I already knew that chat rooms existed with people from around the world. Like that's that's not the big thing. But these people know who I am, <laughs> and they know who Jupiter Broadcasting is, and they know who my husband is, and and it's really cool. It's our fans. It's people that watch our shows, and to talk with people and get to know people. On, a new, on another level and so easily and from around the world. And, you know, I'm learning time zones because of it. And it's just, I don't know, it's really cool. So, yeah, that power of connection is just, it blows me away still all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, just how we can reach out and touch the world. Um, so today we talked to Liz. Liz is a full stack developer at New Relic. And she talks about her journey um, starting out in um, in academia and all the way through a dev boot camp and into a big company like New Relic. And before we get to that, I want to mention that we will be at Linux Fest Northwest. And if you would like to support that or go and and don Jupiter Broadcasting swag, we are currently doing a campaign with the Linux Action Show logo on it. If you go to teespring.com forward slash Linux, uh, you won't be disappointed because if you get one and you come, come there, you're going to see a lot of people there wearing our shirts because we are huge in the Linux community. We have the biggest and longest running Linux podcast that there is. So it's a pretty big deal, but we will also be there and we will pull as many women off the floor to interview as we can. Uh, Hopefully we'll have a room available and do a couple women's tech radios there, but we will be there. We will be wearing our Linux Action Show shirts or maybe even women's tech radio shirts if we do that. But that is one way that you can support us. Yeah, I'll be there and looking forward to meeting people. So we got started with our interview today by asking Liz what she's into in tech now. Well, right 
right now I work at New Relic and I'm a software engineer on one of our internal teams. I work on one of our main products on the front end and the back end. So I get to do some really, really cool stuff with JavaScript and I also get to spend a lot of time in Ruby land, which makes me really happy because no semicolons. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but my passion has definitely been front-end development and teaching people how to become developers and working with CSS and JavaScript and making beautiful pixel-perfect interfaces for users um, that help to display lots of data in a really meaningful, enjoyable way instead of like a boring, oh, a chart, yay, kind of way. Yeah. So are you into um, some of the data engines that are coming out, like D3 and all that? Uh, I do use D3 on my day-to-day. -day. Uh, I have to say it is one of the most overwhelming pieces of software I've ever worked with, but it's a lot of fun. Ah, and because I'm not super good with it, would you maybe explain to our audience what D3 is? Yeah, sure. Um, D3 is one of the most popular data visualization libraries, and it can do a ton of things for you. Um, histograms, pie charts, bar charts, um, flow charts, interactive charts of any kind. It's very user interaction heavy. So you click on something and these beautiful animations happen. And it does a lot of the cross-browser compatibility work for you. And it does a lot of the um, animations and stuff for you. You've got all these helper methods. So you don't have to write all of this from scratch in JavaScript. It's already done for you. And if you don't mind, I'm going to get a little technical because you know, we can do that. And um, <laughs> so you mentioned that you like the front end and you like working in JavaScript, but you hate semicolons. How do you feel about CoffeeScript? You know, I do like CoffeeScript. At my previous job, we wrote primarily in CoffeeScript, but I did find that writing in CoffeeScript made it difficult for me to switch back to writing in JavaScript because a lot of the syntactic sugar that's in CoffeeScript, uh, like the the bang and then the question mark, have more functionality in CoffeeScript <laughs> than they do in JavaScript. And so I just found that I would get lazy in writing CoffeeScript and then go to write JavaScript and be like, hey, why is this not working? This thing should be working. Oh, wait, that's CoffeeScript. Yeah, I've definitely had some of those experiences with CoffeeScript or with uh, Rails because I'll be in Ruby trying to script something mm -hmm. on the server and I'll be like, dot empty. <laughs> oh, wait, that totally doesn't work here. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I like that, that, that keeping that dichotomy in your head is hard. It almost becomes a full nother language. Yeah, I have to think of them as two separate languages to write both of them equally well. So you're a full stack developer. How did you get there? Uh, it was a lot of things <laughs> that got me here. Uh, I learned HTML and CSS by myself when I was 12. I wanted to make my own website. I had a girl page that would be G-U-R-L page. Nice. Uh, wow. it, was, it was pretty great. <laughs> um, I used the Blink tag a lot. It was awesome. Blink I was remember the best in the 90s. Blink was, and Marquee, so good. Oh, yeah. I miss them so much. <laughs> I remember making my dad upgrade our computer so that we could get the new version of Internet Explorer so I could upload images. Do you remember the first time you discovered GIFs? Uh, it, I must have been like 13 and it was like a fireworks. Yes one or something like it and I was just fascinated like glued to my little tiny display <laughs> I remember adding my first rolling smiley face to my, oh, my website yeah. that was amazing those are big I was really big on like roll over the hover over something and then have there be the gif because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. <laughs> you know that's a great user experience totally. um, <laughs> but I started with just playing around with html and css when I was younger and when I was in college I did um, lots of wordpress stuff and just kind of, you know, made websites for friends and never really knew anything about the back end of the internet. I didn't know about databases. I didn't know about servers. I just knew about serving static content and that was the limit of my knowledge. 
Um, and so I went to college, you know, I studied women's studies and I was going to get a PhD and be a professor. Um, but because that's a lot of money to spend on a degree, I took some time off in between my master's and going back to grad school and got a job at a startup. Um, I worked at Groupon in Chicago in the editorial department for about two years. And while the role itself was not heavily technical, I began taking on increasingly technical responsibilities and started to get to know our developers and learn about their tools. And I was like, oh my God, internet. Uh, I'm pretty sure I said exactly that sentence uh, to my developer. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> I, think uh, I, need to, I think I need to. Oh my God, the internet? Yeah. yeah. That's going to be the title what of the about show. It, what, about, what about it caught you so much like that, that you had that reaction? I honestly, I don't know how I got to be like 25 and thought that the entire internet was powered by data saved in Excel spreadsheets, but that was quite seriously what I thought. <laughs> so it, was, it wasn't like the existence of the internet. It was like kind of opening the doors and seeing the magic behind the curtains that yeah. was what really caught your eye. Yeah, and seeing just how much thought goes into the construction of a database and architecture and the modeling and the data and like how all these pieces move together and how they're related. And somebody had to think of that and somebody had to move away from the spreadsheet and like the redundant data. And it just, it was so fascinating to me to see what was really going on behind the scenes. Uh, so I started playing around with Ruby and then I went to Dev Bootcamp in Chicago in 2013. Um, and finished that program and got my first job as a software engineer where I also did full stack. Uh, and that job was actually pretty cool. I worked at an education tech startup called Instructure, and I got to do a ton of front-end work for accessibility, which is really difficult, but insanely rewarding and so awesome to work with. And so that was a really, really cool front-end thing that I haven't gotten to do a lot of since. Can you explain what, uh, what working on accessibility kind of means? Yeah, so we at Instructure, when I was there, we had uh, a number of professors who were blind and had to be able to use the web app in the same way that a seeing user could. And so we had to have um, the right voiceover audio cues when they would navigate through the page. And when uh, blind users, and I can't speak for all blind users because they all use the keyboard commands differently, um, they don't just like tab through the page. They're jump links that they can go to. They can jump between different headers and the different headers have meaning. Like an H1 for a lot of people is just a way to make your text big. But for screen readers, the software that actually reads the text on the page, an H1 is a marker. It is the first heading on the page and everything below that heading is nested under that heading. So it's kind of like an organizational flag. And so going through and making sure all of our content was semantically correct for screen readers and gave the correct information um, for a single page JavaScript app was very complex because screen readers only want to read stuff that's on the page the second you load it. So you have to load a bunch of extra stuff and hide it from your seeing users, but also not make it accessible to the screen reader. So it's like this constant game of like hot potato. That makes total sense. Really yeah. fascinating work. I, I did some work with some accessibility stuff when I was working at a, a university um, think tank, I guess. Um, yeah. And they, because they had government grants, we had to do accessibility work. And it was really fascinating, like having to put yourself like really, truly in very different usability shoes. It wasn't just like, oh, well, I'm my mom using the app and I'm not super tech savvy. It was like just a very like totally different interface with the digital world. Yeah, it was really interesting. And we actually at that company had a blind software engineer who was one of the people who helped me learn the most about how you use a screen reader natively because I would just tab through everything and be like, this works fine for me. But that's not how most people use them. Like you probably have a bunch of mouse gestures configured for your trackpad. 
most people don't just scroll now, they have like, they flip to the side to go back and forward. It's like those little things that I didn't know because I didn't use a screen reader. Oh, totally makes sense. So you started there, you were doing the, um, the accessibility work. How did you end up at New Relic? Um, I went to RailsConf in Chicago last year. I was on a panel for educating new developers. And when I was there, there was another talk given that same day about how um, New Relic educates and onboards their new developers and what that kind of program looked like at the time. And I was like, oh, this seems like an interesting talk. I'll go to it. And I learned a lot about the company and I met the speaker, his name is Chuck, um, and he's no longer here, but uh, I talked with him about the company and what it was like working there. And I was like, okay, maybe someday in the future, like I'll be good enough to work in New Relic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know, I had only been writing software for like, six to eight months at that time. So I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to be good enough to work at a dev tools company. Like that's going to take a while. Uh, and I came out to Portland in June of last year to speak at Open Source Bridge. And another new relic was at the conference, who's now one of my good friends at the company, Jonan. Uh, and I talked with him about how, you know, I was hoping to move to Portland and I just wasn't sure where I wanted to land. And I wanted to make sure that I landed somewhere with good people. And he was like, okay, you should totally come work with me. <laughs> And I was like, okay, so now I've met two, the two out of the two people I've met from this company are really cool, awesome, welcoming people who really get it and who really understand technology and what it's like to be a junior dev and what it's like to be a junior woman developer in the field. And so I applied and I landed on an awesome team and it's been tons of fun since I've been here. And that's not all you do. I see you have a <laughs> website that is feministy.com. Yes, that is my knitting website. <laughs> Can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, before I was a software engineer, um, I actually paid my way through grad school designing knitting patterns and selling them online. <laughs> um, and it's kind of a random niche field that not a lot of people know exists, mm -hmm. but I would knit up these beautiful ornate uh, items and write the pattern and sell it like, you know, $5 for the single pattern and you sell it to a few hundred people and there's your rent for the month. Yeah. Um, and so I did that for a number of years and I still actually do it on the side, but now I have a um, web development project actually, it's artcraftcode.com and it's uh, it's an Angular app that generates knitting patterns based on custom metrics that the users provide. And so right now the only custom pattern up is a hat, but it's growing and I'm gonna eventually have sweater patterns and you will be able to modify multiple metrics. And so it's been really cool to integrate like my hobby passion of knitting with my new hobby passion of development and user experiences and bringing those two fields together because there's not a lot of crossover between yarn crafts and technology. So it's been kind of fun. And this is phenomenal for us because we actually just spoke to our last guest who um, is a UX designer and she is working on a knitting app as well. That's so awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's working on something to do counting. Um, yeah. And so yeah. you should check out that interview when you're done. Um, and I see also that you've got Artcraft Code up on GitHub if people want to go and check out what that looks like. As And yep. I am actually fascinated because I'm currently in the midst of building some Angular apps. So I love looking at other people's code. Yeah, I use Angular a lot for work. Um, my old job was Ember a lot. And this job is Angular a lot. And they're very different. Um, but I've really enjoyed working with Angular. So I decided to work on it for my personal project. And it's been pretty fun. I try to keep it small, you know. <laughs> So can you tell us a little bit about, it sounded like, you know, you kind of had the traditional college experience and then to bridge into software, it sounds like you went to a bootcamp. And um, 
uh, you're one of the first people we've talked to who's well established after being at a boot camp. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of the tell us a story about the boot camp experience and like the transition out of that into being a full time developer? Yeah, I mean, I've always been one of the people who goes in and does something and does it at like maximum viable amount to survive. Uh, like when I was in grad school, I absolutely was getting 100% on everything. And if I wasn't, then I was studying for like an unreal number more hours a week than I already was. And so I always throw myself into stuff completely because I get really excited and really passionate. Um, and so dev bootcamp was really hard for me as a result because I was so, so thrilled to be learning Ruby and so excited to be learning even like Unix commands. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> basics. I was just so thrilled to be learning these things and to be full, like so full of energy and so full of excitement in a room with other people who were that full of energy and excitement is exhausting, but so rewarding. And so the program itself was difficult for me to get through on an emotional level, but on an intellectual level, it was so thrilling. It was incredibly challenging, incredibly rewarding. I learned a ton and I made a couple really good friends and I'm still friends with to this day. Uh, I learned a lot about developing software on teams and that kind of stuff helped me find the right first job. I, when I started at bootcamp, I was like, okay, after this is done, like, hopefully I'll be ready to get a job. And if I get a job, I want to make sure I'm writing software on something that's really cool or something that's really interesting. But by the time I was done with the program, I was like, wait, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter what kind of software I'm writing. It matters what kind of team I'm on and it matters who I'm working with. And so it kind of changed my perspective on what I had expected. And I didn't expect to get a job out of the program. I expected to get like a leg up into getting a job. And then when I ended up getting a job, I was kind of surprised, but really excited. Um, and I worked hard. So I worked a lot. What do you think the difference is there for you? Like what in, when you were envisioning it before you were, you were thinking, oh, I'm going to get a leg up. What did that look like? And then what actually happened and, and why the difference? I think to me, I thought the leg up was going to be, I was going to learn the basics and then I was going to go and like build an app for a friend or enter into a hackathon or something and do a couple more structured events or exercises or apps and then have more stuff to show and get a job. Like I thought I would need to like have more of a portfolio, have a little bit more experience, almost like an internship. Uh, because I was thinking about what a lot of um, computer science majors do before they get their first job. And a lot of the people I knew that had done CS said, oh, yeah, I had an internship before I had my first full time job as a software engineer. And I was like, OK, so I should kind of follow the same model. And I realized that model doesn't really apply there. And it doesn't really apply, at least it didn't for me, because Computer science programs are not the same as an intensive boot camp. That's partly why the boot camps exist. Uh, but you learn different things. Like you, yes, you don't learn a lot of the things that you learn in the CS programs, but you learn how to work with a team. You learn how to develop as a team. You don't really learn that in a lot of the CS programs from the people that I've talked to. I'm sure some teach it, but it's an area that I think a lot of them are probably lacking in. Mm -hmm. I didn't learn how to teach someone else how to do something and very well and very thoroughly until I had gone to dev boot camp. And I didn't know what it meant to learn something technical until I had gone to dev boot camp. And so being taught how to be a teacher and being taught how to learn was a very important thing for me. And I think those two things kind of changed my expectation from I'm going to finish this program and then do some more work and then get a job 
to I'm going to finish this program and then I'll be able to get a job. Right. I thought I was just going into code, but I was going in to learn how to be a software engineer. Right. So it was more like a a starving artist thing, like where you thought you'd have to do a couple projects and possibly be recognized and recruited after that. But instead, you were recruited at the learning stage. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I think that's the intention behind the boot camps. Like I work closely Mm -hmm. with some of the boot camps in Portland and, you know, a lot of the intention is to, to create developers not to create software engineers. And I think there's a difference. Like I think software engineers can sit down and engineer software and developers know how to work in a team. They understand things like source control. It's a social yeah. uh, software engineer. Yeah. And it's yeah. part of its process, not just mm-hmm. technique. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. So just a couple rapid fire questions to, to end things up. Um, I Well, one sort of longer, small question is, uh, when did you start blogging and how did that, inf- how has that influenced your career? Uh, I started blogging technically, like the technical writing kind of stuff when I was at Dev Bootcamp. Um, it was, it's always been really helpful to me to write things down or type things up. It helps me remember them and retain them better. Uh, and I've always been a writer because I was an academic. Uh, so I started in summer of 2013 and then I've kind of kept up with it. And that's where a lot of my conference talks ideas come from is actually either a blog post I've published or something that I've written, but became too long to publish. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. And then um, what does your day-to-day tool stack look like? Like I was like finding out what other people work in, like what's your editor, what sort of technology uh, <laughs> are you working for? Um, I use Sublime Text 3 and I have about 50 different color schemes I alternate between. <laughs> nice. uh, I get bored with them and then sometimes um, I get lazy and think that if it's a certain color, I've typed it correctly, so I don't really read what I've typed. Mm-hmm. So I have so to keep changing you it. You don't just sit and solarize the whole time? No. <laughs> um, and then I work primarily with the technology stack I work with right now has been Angular and D3 um, inside of a Rails app. Um, and we, of course, use Git for our version control. And then uh, to finish out, what about technology gets you fired up right now? Like either what's coming down the road or something that you know makes you not be able to sleep at night now? Oh, man, <laughs> that's hard. Uh, I'd have to say in the past year, a lot more people have been um, becoming interested in the whole like front end framework thing and what's going on there and how there are too many and how they all kind of do the same thing, but not really. And just recently, just this last week, EmberConf and NGConf, the Angular conference, were happening at the same time in different cities. Uh, And EmberConf was actually here in Portland, and I did not go. But uh, there was a talk given at AngularConf about a tool somebody was writing that made it easier for Angular and Ember to work together to be able to use both of the frameworks. And I haven't looked into that too much. I just heard somebody talk about it this week, but I'm insanely interested to see what happens when you try to like make a monster framework and get all of these frameworks to work together. Oh, that is fascinating. I like that idea. Because sure. they all have different strengths and weaknesses, but you shouldn't be limited to using just one at a time. If you really, really need a good data model, you should be able to use Ember. But if you really, really need, you know, services, microservices, Angular is really quick and great about that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women's Tech Radio. Don't forget the show notes, including a full transcription, are available at jupiterbroadcasting.com. You can also email us, wtr at jupiterbroadcasting.com. You can also find us on Twitter at heywtr.com, on Tumblr at heywtr.tumblr.com, and on iTunes or other podcasting services. We are Women's Tech Radio. 
And if you have a moment, please fill out a review on iTunes. It helps the show out a lot and helps us reach more awesome women. Thanks so much.